we'll be in Second Peter for the um, for August. Um, it is very close to the end of the Bible. It's four books back from Revelation. If that helps you find it, at the start of the fall semester, we will begin uh, Revelation. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, most of you guys are young professionals and aren't really in that school schedule, um, like mo- like a lot of people in the church are, but. Uh, our church our church semesters run fall and spring. So if you guys notice, in the summer, things kind of simmer down. And in the fall, everything starts back up. We're going to start back uh, community groups. We'll enter our uh, major study for the year. Um, we'll do Connect again, which is our Thursday night gathering. Um, and I think uh, I was hoping to spend August in Second Peter uh, to kind of help us get ready for that. Uh, Peter... Um, Peter was the main apostle of the Lord Jesus. He was the guy of whom Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Um, Peter's mark is, uh, the mark of his theology is actually all over the New Testament. Um, we normally think of him just as the guy who wrote First and Second Peter, but actually uh, the, uh, the guy Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark was his traveling companion. So Peter's preaching and theology is the source for the Gospel of Mark, which just happens to be the source uh, for Matthew and Luke. So Peter, all that to say, Peter's theology is all over the uh, New Testament. Uh, but Second Peter is a really cool letter because it is a general letter. It's written to all believers everywhere. Uh, most New Testament epistles are written to specific churches in specific uh, historical settings and contexts. And, and it's really important to interpret uh, what the, the writer is saying based on those contexts. Second Peter, if you look at uh, verse 1... It's written, uh, this is the middle of the verse, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. In other words, uh, anybody who knows Jesus. So it's a very general uh, letter. And the beautiful thing about that is he just hits the main things. This book is all about the general, big picture, what does it mean to live like a Christian? And I think that's very helpful. Uh, I think when we get caught up in a flurry of activities, or when we just live, it's very easy uh, to miss the main things, to get distracted, to get sidelined. So uh, maybe as we approach this passage, maybe it'd be a good idea to just ask in your head, what do I think the main thing is? What's, uh, what is my Christian lifestyle primarily about? Activities, experiences, behaviors, what does God really want? What's the main thing I should give myself to? Peter's going to answer that question for us this morning. Let's, uh, let's hear the scriptures. We'll read Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have, uh, have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, 
and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth you have. I think it right as long as I'm in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for... uh, necessary reminders and just pray that you'd uh, enable us to hear the reminder this passage gives us this morning Uh, we pray you'd come we pray the spirit would enable bless and apply uh, the teaching of the word we pray that in jesus name amen so stephen covey uh, he's a leadership guy he famously said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing uh, if, you've ne- if that ma- doesn't make any sense to you, there's an expression that goes, don't miss the forest for the trees. In other words, don't get so focused on the details or on one particular thing that you miss the big picture. Um, maybe you know someone or are someone who gets so lost in the details of life, you miss really big things. Maybe you're someone, in fact, who loves to be distracted from the big, th- big things you should be doing. Um, This happens to me a lot. Uh, One particular instance, uh, I really try uh, to serve my bride by doing house projects. And it's kind of a sacrifice of suffering because I'm terrible at house projects. In fact, yesterday, my house project was hanging a shelf on a wall, and it took me four hours and three trips to Lowe's. So that's, that's that's my skill level, all right? Anyways, but uh, it's something that's important to her, and I I try. but when we first moved into our house, all right, we're two days into moving into our house, and the microwave handle breaks. All right, so happy home ownership. I look online for a new handle; it's 100 bucks, which is great, right? A new microwave is only 150 bucks, so we bought a new microwave. Uh, I think in hindsight, I probably would have taken the handle, uh, anyways. Um, but it was one of those microwaves that you had to mount to the wall. All right, and I don't know if you guys have ever tried to mount something that's 75 or 80 pounds to a wall. All right, but it's very difficult, especially if you're terrible at house projects. Anyways, uh, it was miserable. Um, about five or six hours in, I roped Sarah in to help me, okay? So just give you a picture here. It's 11 p.m. We're both sweating. I'm probably saying some bad words. And my wife is shoulder-pressing the microwave into the wall while I it futilely try to drill it in, okay? And we've been doing this for about an hour, and I have just not noticed at all the growing look of consternation on her face. And uh, finally, she like throws her hands up, doesn't drop the microwave, but you know, <laughs> finally she's like, we're going to bed or else, you know? All right, uh, what, uh, what's happened there? Um, I got so focused on one particular way to be a good husband 
that I missed the idea that I should actually like notice my wife, right? And uh, love her in the moment. Uh, all to say, it's very easy to miss the main thing. It's very easy to get caught up, particularly in the Christian life, in activities or in behaviors or in just being present and to miss the main thing about Christian living. And Peter knows that and he loves us. And so he speaks. He says in uh, verse 13 that he is going to stir us up by reminding us of the main thing, not teaching it to us, right? But reminding us, we need this reminder. And um, what we'll see in this passage that the main thing about Christian living, it's not behavior-based, it's not just being present in church, okay? It is adding the qualities of God to your life. It's growing in Christian character. It's not just doing the right things, it's in the gospel as you love Jesus, becoming the right kind of person. That's the main thing. It's probably something that we might have forgotten. So we're going to see that in the text in just a second. Uh, just FYI, normally I walk verse by verse, section by section. This passage, if you've noticed, is a little bit complex. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to show you the main point uh, and then give you some reasons why that Peter lays out kind of out of order. So uh, look at verse 2. Peter's desire uh, in writing this letter is that grace and peace would be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace. Now, I've said previously that grace, a helpful way to understand grace for me, it's the smile of God on your life because of Jesus. Right? Everything that means. All right? His affections for you, his love poured out on your life, him blessing you, him empowering you, him giving you good gifts, everything that comes from the Father, the smile, the, the smile of the Father on your life, not because of what you've done, because of what Jesus has done. That's grace. That's how I, that's, that helps me understand it. Um, and peace, of course, is just a result of grace. I think it's a, it's a peaceful relationship with God. You don't live at enmity with God. And Peter's desire is that this grace and this peace would be multiplied or poured out or increased in your life. And so uh, the idea here, and this is a, a tricky idea, okay, is that there are different kinds of experiences of grace. Some Christians will live with little grace. They'll just be hanging on by a thread because of disobedience or because of a lack of growth, as this passage will say. All right? And other Christians right, will have fullness of grace in their life. They'll have it poured out on their life. And Peter's desire for you and me, and God's desire for us, is that we live with grace poured out on our lives, that we experience what God longs for us to do. Um, and so notice how this grace is going to be poured out onto us. Peter will say that, verse 3, that God's power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, right, to being a godly person. In fact, that in verse 4, God's given us his precious and great promises so that we can become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, we can share in God's nature. And this does not mean that you become omnipotent, all right? You're not going to become a superhero by being a Christian, right? It doesn't mean you're becoming omniscient, right? 
How do we share in God's nature? We share in God's nature in this life by being like him in his character. All right? So grace, the experience of God's favor, right, is poured out as we become like God in his character. And so the main thing Peter wants to say to us is in verse 5, knowing that. For this reason, because you experience grace when you are like God in your character, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And then he gives us this list. Okay? The idea here, the big point of this whole passage, I'll give it to you right now. All right? The big point all right, is in light of how God has designed the world and, and, and grace. Because of that, all right, give your hardest efforts. Work hard. Not to earn God's favor, right? But to experience more of him, okay? Work hard to develop these qualities in your life. That's the point of this passage. Let's walk through it, okay? Um, what qualities are we to develop? So first he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Um, just notice that faith is assumed to already be present. Do you all see that? Right? It's assumed that you already have faith. What's faith? The New City Catechism says that faith is acknowledging the truth of everything in God's word, trusting in God himself, and resting, and, or sorry, receiving and resting on Jesus alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. So there's two parts, right? One is saying everything in this book is God's word. It's true. That's faith. But there's a second part where you receive Jesus personally and you rest on him personally, his life and death and resurrection to save you. That's saving faith, all right? That's the center of the Christian life. If you don't have that, you don't have the Christian life. All right, that's, that's the starting point. That's the foundation. All right, may, maybe this morning uh, you need to return to that. Maybe it's been a while, right, since you've freshly rested upon Jesus. Maybe you've been living like you're trying to please God by being moral, by being a good boy or girl, right? Return, repent, look to Jesus alone. All right, that's faith. All right, so faith is the foundation. Um, but Peter says, make every effort to supplement or add to your faith, virtue. All right, I'm just going to walk through this list really quickly, okay? Um, add to your faith virtue. This word virtue could be translated excellence. All right, it gives the idea of an overall excellence of character. Uh, think of Daniel. Uh, he was an Old Testament prophet way back in the day. He was a slave in a foreign land. And at the end of his life, when he had risen to power, all right, there were some other guys around him that were trying to cause his downfall. All right, and here's what it says. All right, they had nothing to say because there was no fault in him. That's the idea of, of virtue and excellence. Other people notice, even unbelievers notice, a general excellence of your life. You work hard. You bless others. Okay? So add to your faith virtue. Add to your virtue, knowledge. Supplement your virtue with knowledge. Uh, and this knowledge certainly refers to the knowledge we see in verse 2, the knowledge of God, um, knowing him personally. But I, I, think, I think the idea in this particular passage is uh, actual knowledge, like increasing in your knowledge of the scriptures. So um, Christians are called 
All right? If you're a Christian, right, God's revealed himself in a book. You're called to intellectual understanding of this book. Now, of course, I'm not saying that you just, just understand it and don't do it, right? You do it, okay? But Christians are called. Listen, if you're not a reader, I understand, okay? Um, I'm not, I am a reader, personally, but I get there are people who aren't naturally inclined to read. God has called you, as in the words of uh, one of the pastors here at the church, God has redeemed your reading, right? He's called you to be a person who regularly interacts with written words. Um, I think uh, in a day of blog posts and tweets and Instagram posts, we need to say that, right? God's called us to engage with the scriptures. Um, Add to your virtue knowledge. Uh, Just notice, though, uh, I think the order of these uh, qualities is really important. Notice that virtue comes first, right? Genuine knowledge is never separated from virtues, right? Uh, there's, there's been many uh, PhDs in theology who have also been bitter, angry, unhelpful people. That is not what this passage says, right? Virtue comes first. Faith comes first, right? Uh, after knowledge comes self-control. Um, now supplement your knowledge with self-control. Uh, this word means most closely self-mastery, right? Your desires don't lead you, Okay. You lead your desires. Uh, Dave Ramsey, who's a financial guy, says something really funny about budgeting. He says, budgeting, all right, is just telling your money where it should go and not letting it go wherever it wants to, right? That's a good principle. Uh, the idea here of self-control is you tell your life where to go. You tell your desires where to go. You say no to yourself regularly. You are, you are the master of yourself, not in the sense where you, you're, you're in charge of your own life, but which you are not a slave to your desires. You say no to that extra Netflix episode or that extra piece of cake or that extra hour of sleep when you know you should get up. Um, you also say no to all sorts of thoughts that head your way. You know, I'll say some of you, and I've been here before, you are eaten up with guilt. You live in guilt. Most of what you do you do out of feelings of guilt, whether from the past or present. And listen, if you're walking with Jesus includes a category for saying no even to those kinds of thoughts. And Jesus has called me. He's called me to live at peace with God. God loves me, right? He, Jesus has paid for my sins. So when I, when I, when I uh, forget somebody's name and then walk around the rest of the day feeling like I'm the worst person in the world, okay, right? right? Like, like God does not want me to live like that, right? Um, so anyway, self-control includes your thoughts. All right. After self-control comes steadfastness. Again, this order makes sense because steadfastness is simply endurance. It is self-control for the rest of your life. It is 40 or 50 years of self-control. Right? It's continuing um, in all these virtues. After uh, steadfastness comes godliness. And you've got to be careful with godliness because a lot of times we use like, oh, this person's a really godly person, and what we mean is they're just a good Christian. So we, we've, kind of, uh, we've kind of flushed the meaning of this word. Uh, the actual word godliness means that you have a warm reverence and affection for God. You, you hear his name, and there's a, a certain reverence that comes along with that to you. Um, there is a, uh, there's a deep regard. You don't let the name Jesus off your lips without a particular kind of reverence. You, you're, he, God is, has some gravity. Your life orbits around him. That's godliness. Um, and again, I think the order makes really sense here. After godliness comes brotherly affection. You know, the great commandment, Jesus said, uh, 
uh, love God with all your heart, right? And then love your neighbor as yourself. They're tied together right here. Godliness, this affection for God, this reverence for him, is tied very clearly to brotherly affection, to having a warm regard for others. Brotherly affection uh, means this. You walk into Sunday school, all right? Maybe you're brand new, all right? You don't know a lot of people, but because they're believers, you feel warmly about them, all right? Brotherly affection, your Christian roommate makes you crazy, and you feel warmly and tenderly for them as you pray for them, all right? Just because they know Jesus. That's brotherly affection, all right? And then love uh, at the end, and I think the culminating biggest virtue of all of these is simply uh, it's exemplified in the life of Jesus. It's a life lived for others. It's a life laid down and sacrificed so others can be blessed. There's certainly emotion involved. There's affection involved. But primarily, right, it is a life devoted not to one's own desires or plans, right, but to blessing other people. So uh, those are the qualities, these particular qualities that God himself has, right, and the great charge of this passage um, is to grow in these qualities. In fact, uh, to add them to your life, to say what I'm going to do, all right? I'm not going to work on a behavior. <clears throat> I'm going to work on a character trait of mine. I'm going I'm to engage in working on my character. And that is a, that's a complicated thing. Let me... Uh, let me say a few things, okay? Uh, first, uh, C.S. Lewis. I'm reading Mere Christianity right now, and whenever I'm reading Lewis, I'm always quoting him because he's so good. He just says this. He says, God is not after particular behaviors, but a particular kind of people. Uh, and I'm just paraphrasing him here, but what God wants primarily for your character now is to make you fit for heaven. That's what he wants. He doesn't just want you to do the right thing in the right situation. He wants to make you fit for heaven. He wants a different kind of transformation than in this situation, you do this, right? That's how, that's how we live a lot, right? I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing these things. And that's good to an extent, okay? But isn't life more complicated than that, right? If, if only we had a 5,000-page rule book of what to do and what not to do, right? But life's more complicated. And so the, the, what God wants is virtues. For he, he wants characteristics to mark your life. And so just notice a few more things. Uh, I found it really interesting that the first few characteristics uh, were kind of gritty. Um, when I say gritty, I mean like they involve some toughness, some putting yourself under control, some, some labor, in fact. Uh, and I think, uh, I think we live in an age that, is, that we assume that our emotions should lead us, right? Like, I will go to church when I feel ready, right? I will greet the stranger, right, once the butterflies are gone, right? I will memorize scripture once I'm appropriately motivated, right? And this passage actually says the order's backwards. Actually, only virtuous people can feel deeply about God. Only people who master themselves and their desires, right, can, can, can learn to warmly regard fellow believers. So I just encourage you that there are times, now again, I'm not saying we shouldn't feel right. We should. We should seek joy in the Lord. We should seek genuine feelings, right? But however, much of the work of the Christian life starts, it begins oftentimes with just hard character work, with the discipline of self-control. Um, 
and I know that I need that reminder. Um, oftentimes, I am caught up in my stage of life or in one particular circumstance I'm dealing with or um, installing a microwave. <laughs> and uh, I just want to encourage you guys, do not get distracted. I was reading a 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. I think that's a must-read book right now. It's a great book. It really convicted me. One thing he said that just, just crushed me, okay? He said, oftentimes, uh, we run to our phones when we're doing something hard and need a break. We escape. Have you ever found that you're at work? You're like, oh, my head's exploding. And then all of a sudden, you, you just end up on Facebook just scrolling through little cat videos, you know? Okay, I don't do cat videos, but whatever, okay? Puppies are my thing, I'm just kidding. But, um, but you've noticed that, right? You're in a really tough situation. You leave, and the first thing you're doing is scrolling, just numbing yourself. Distraction. Uh, and I think oftentimes, many of us know somewhere inside of us that we need this character work. We need to work on this. But it's a lot easier to join a community group or to start a, a Bible reading plan, right? It's a lot easier to, do, to just do something, to fill our lives up with activity and not give this hard work to character development. So Peter reminds us. So I think uh, one thing you can practically leave this room with is I would encourage you to take one or two qualities here. Um, maybe it is working on virtue in general, shoring up some rough edges in your character, dealing with some things that other people see in your life. Um, maybe uh, you work on self-control, but I, I would just say pick one, all right? Pick one or two and just say one of my goals this year, all right, is I'm going to develop this in my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think creatively. I'm going to plead with God. I'm going to ask him to grow this in me. It's the main thing. Uh, but why is it so important? Okay, and the, what, what I love about this passage is um, if I ended right now, okay, this would not really be a, a, a Christian study. It would just be, hey, improve your character, okay? Uh, we could, anybody could do that. We could do a TED Talk online. I'm sure they have stuff like this, all right? Um, but what's great about this passage is there's so much gospel motivation here that, in fact, it's not just grow in godly qualities. It's grow in godly qualities for all of these incredible reasons, um, let's, uh, let's walk through them real quick. Notice uh, that God's grace gives you power to grow. Look at uh, verse 3 again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Uh, notice a few words there. His divine power, the power of God. He speaks and galaxies explode into life that power available to you. And that power uh, has given you, like a gift, right, everything you need for life and godliness. He's given it to you. Like, in the gospel, don't you guys know that that because of your faith in Jesus, in the gospel, as you trust Jesus, you have resources at your disposal. It's not like God says, hey, go work on your self-control. I'll check back on you with a month, okay? No, 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 no. God's there. He's empowering you. He's available to you, right? His grace empowers godliness. And one of the things God has given us because of grace, right, is, is help when we fail. Here's the funny thing about this passage. You're gonna, uh, you could go out and you're gonna, I'm, I'm going to work on 
self-control. I'm going to try really hard, all right? And then at midnight tonight, after four episodes of, I don't know, whatever you're watching, okay, you're like, oh, I blew it. I, just, I forgot. I just blew it, you know, right? In that moment, right, in that moment, after blowing it, okay, grace gives you everything you need for life and godliness because Jesus forgives you. God is not angry. He's not, he's not, he's not forsaken you, right? He forsook Jesus for you, okay? So God's granted to you not just power to grow, but power to deal with your failures to grow. He's also given us uh, his precious and great promises. Notice that it's not just, God doesn't, doesn't just give us power to grow. The whole reason he's given us grace is to grow. Look at, uh, look at verse 4. God has granted to us his precious and great promises so that, that's for, so that uh, through his promises we might become partakers of the divine nature. The reason God gave us the promises of the gospel Right now, certainly there are other reasons than the one here, right? But the chief reason here, he gave us the promises of the gospel so that we could grow in godliness. Like Lewis said, God doesn't just want you to go to heaven, right? He wants you to be fit for heaven. He wants you to taste it in your life presently. His grace intends that for you, nothing less. So just really quickly, in application before we go to the next cool thing here um i just want to encourage you guys to approach your growth in christ with faith in christ don't miss that it's very easy to not connect the dots here okay one of the connections between jesus loving me just as i am right and me not staying that way but growing okay is that the path of growth is a path of faith you grow as you trust Jesus to help you, right? You grow as you trust him to continue with you when you fail, right? You grow through faith. You you, you do not do the hard work of character growth on your own in the Christian life. Approach your growth with faith. All right, so God's grace gives you what you need for godliness, and it empowers your godliness. It intends it. But also, uh, this godliness is going to really bless your life. I've been very, uh, it's been really interesting to read this passage that Peter just lists all these reasons. Uh, not why God necessarily wants you, but like why it'd be good for you. He just says, here's all the great things these qualities will do in your life. We'll walk through them, okay? I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll go through this by asking you guys a series of really dumb questions, okay? All right? Question number one, all right? Who here? would like to, through stupidity, destroy themselves? Anybody? No, okay. Tough crowd, all right. Um, Notice in verse 4, all right, middle of verse 4, God gave us grace so we might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Notice that sinful desire in the world corrupts corrodes sin is like sulfuric acid right it burns it corrodes it destroys people without jesus their lives are corrosive right that little bit of anger right sometimes really does turn into murder right that one little thought you don't master 20 years ago 20 years from now might be sexual perversion you've never imagined right 
sin corrupts, it corrodes. And having the qualities of God in your life, having them and growing them preserves you. It protects you. It, it saves you from yourself. It delivers you from the corrosive effects of the sin living in you. So reason number one, you want to live, you want to do well, you want to not destroy your life like we all do, grow in godliness. All right, second question, dumb question. Who here would like to live a useless and pointless life? All right? Who here wants to get to 65 and say, I have done nothing? Nobody, right? Nobody, all right? Um, look at verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Being, having godly characteristics makes you useful. It makes you fruitful. In fact, it guarantees, right, that no matter the tangible results of your life, your life in Christ will reap you a reward. It will bless others. A godly character ensures that. And I just think practically, okay, um, one of the reasons we need godliness to be useful is if we don't have it, we're just going to spend our entire lives as our own worst enemy, right? Going from one self-inflicted crisis to the next, right? But if we have these qualities, if God grows us in them, if we, if we have the kind of character he desires for us, we're able to be freed up from ourselves to bless other people. If you want to be useful, you have to have a godly character. Final question, okay? Who here would like to live the rest of their lives uncertain if they are going to heaven? With a giant question mark hanging over eternity. Some of you guys might be there this morning. Look at verse 9. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never feel, fail, fall. Growing in godliness assures you that you have eternal life. Now, this is a, a tricky distinction, okay? What's, how do you get to heaven? You trust Jesus. That's it. You look to him. You rest on him, all right? But how do you know for certain that you're going to heaven? This passage says you conform to his image in your life. You become like him, all right? Um, John Piper said, God will not reject someone who looks like his son. That's the, that's the confidence. So God intends for you not to have that like, oh yeah, I'm going to heaven kind of assurance, that kind of like not really thinking too much about it. Of course, it's fine. No, no. He wants you to have that blessed assurance, right? Where you, you are certain that you're his, that you can rest secure in whatever your life brings to you because you know you're his. And that comes through godliness and also even provides a rich reward uh, look at verse 11 for in this way again in adding these qualities to your life practicing them growing in them there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ so in application all right i want to say that this call on our lives to grow in many ways is a call on our lives to see our deepest longings fulfilled and secured nobody wants to destroy themselves nobody wants to be useless nobody wants to be uncertain right we all desire security 
right? We desire assurance. M many of the things we do, in fact, are coming from these desires. And God says here that growing in godliness, as you walk with Jesus, as you trust him, as you look to him, that is the one thing that is going to secure these desires for you. Um, in closing, uh, Blaise Pascal said famously that all men seek happiness. That everything we do, right, everything we are is always driven towards happiness. And uh, we see happiness commanded of us in the scriptures to rejoice in the Lord, to be glad, to love him. And uh, here's the key thing I just want to leave you with. Um, this hard work of character growth, right, is not just a call to go and do better, okay? It's a call to be the kind, to become the kind of person who can be durably and forever happy, right? These virtues, these characteristics, when richly rooted in your life, make you, they make you the kind of person who can delight in Jesus. So grow. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your kindness. Thanks for uh, just your, your precious and great promises and that they save us and that they are saving us today and they are bringing us to a day when we are like you and we know you. So I pray you'd just give us faith, enable us to walk with you in Jesus' name.